Today we're, is part two of a, a series that we've entitled Taking a Stand, and we're looking at the, the importance and the implications of us followers of Jesus Christ taking a stand in the culture that we live in. And you can pull your notes out if you would like, or you can follow along there. Um, we've got notes provided for you online as well. It's important that we learn how to take a stand in the right ways, at the right time, and for the right reasons. It's really important that we learn how, as followers of Christ, to take a stand, but do it in the right ways and at the right time and for the right reasons. And we can learn a whole lot about taking a stand uh, through the life of, or from the life of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We started last week. We laid some groundwork from Daniel uh, chapter 1. And I encourage you to, if you weren't here last week, I'm not going to take the time to review, but you can go back and listen to the message online at the church website or on iTunes or whatever. So I encourage you to do that. Today I want us to think about what it looks like to take a stand in our personal relationships. Because the reality is that at times in our lives, God is going, he's going to prompt you to take a stand before someone you love steps off a cliff because of some of the decisions that they may be making. And they're going to need what I call a carefrontation. <laughs> And I know that you don't think so, but there's going to also be times whenever you're going to need somebody to take a stand in front of you before you step off a cliff. And we need to appreciate that, and we need to be thankful for that, and we need to invite that. Actually, the question is not if that time will come. The question is, why the whys and the, and the hows of that taking a stand. So let me give you a couple of extremes. Extreme number one is ones that are unwilling to take the stand or unwilling to confront. Some are unwilling to, to confront. We tend to, tend to rationalize it out to say, well, it's really none of my business and I'm just going to let live and who am I, who am I to judge? So we end up just watching people that we love just walk off a cliff. When we had an opportunity to, to possibly stop them from doing that. But then you've got the extreme number two. <laughs> Ones that are overly willing to confront. <laughs> they can't wait 
to take a stand. They can't wait to confront somebody, even when it truly is none of their business or they have no idea what the whole story is. They jump right in with their assumptions and their opinions, and they are not afraid to give it, even whenever it is truly not welcomed or not the the right time for the or the right way or the right reason. Confrontation and a need to take a stand in life is inevitable. That need is going to happen. So how you do it can make all the difference in the world on the outcome of actually doing that. And there's so much that we can that we can learn from Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So in case you missed it last week, again, go back, go back and watch it. Several years uh, today, we were in chapter 1 last week. Uh, and in case you weren't there, just to give you a little bit of background of the story, we learned that King Nebuchadnezzar was, the, was a ruthless king of Babylon. He had destroyed Jerusalem and he had taken all of the sacred he had, he had taken all of the sacred things out of the temple anything that was worth anything he had taken it out and then he destroyed everything else. He destroyed their 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 homes, he destroyed the temple, he destroyed everything that that meant anything to them and not only that but he he brought in and he tried to destroy their future by by taking their young people. And four of those young people that were probably teenage, in their teenage years, was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So today we're going to be in chapter 4, and several years had gone by before chapter 4, where, where, um, where the, they had had some time and they had made a good impression on King Nebuchadnezzar. The king had actually seen God move in their lives and through their lives enough to the point to where it had, not, it had gotten his attention and he had actually built a relationship with them. He had, he had come to respect them. He even seemed to start to lean toward the things of God some, but he was still just Full of pride. He was like a lot of us today. We, we move toward God, but we still want to keep doing most things our own way. We think our way is the best way. And we know that your way is not the best way. My way is the best way. <laughs> And that's where King Nebuchadnezzar was. And so God gave him this, this crazy dream. And the dream freaked him out so much that, that he couldn't sleep. And he called his magicians, or those that, <clears throat> that would typically interpret his dreams, or interpreters, he, and he said, he asked them, what does this, what does this dream mean? Because it's keeping me up at night. Depending on which translation of the Bible that you read, all of these 
interpreters, these magicians, either said that they, some translations say they couldn't translate it or interpret the dream. And there's some other translations that says they would not translate the dream. I think that there's a good possibility that they knew exactly what this dream meant and were like, I'm not going there with the king. Because many of the kings in that day would kill the messengers of bad news. So they weren't willing to take a stand and interpret this dream. So the king called in Daniel. And that's where we're going to start reading this morning. Daniel chapter 4, starting with verse 9, it says this. This is the king talking. I said to him, Belteshazzar. <laughs> this is Daniel. Okay, you remember last week in the message that he changed their names. So we're going to call him Daniel, okay? Chief of the magicians, he had, elevated him, he had elevated Daniel to the top of all of these advisors that he had. I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. While I was lying in my bed, this was what I dreamed, and I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves, and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade, and the birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. And the messenger shouted, cut, cut down the tree and lop off its branches, shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the Holy One so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Verse 18, Daniel, that was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of these other wise men of my kingdom can do so. But you can tell me because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. See how just the stance that they've already made, how it had influenced him? Now, Daniel knew exactly what the dream meant, and it wasn't a positive, it wasn't positive news for the king. And if I'm Daniel, I might have taken the same road as the other guys. 
I would be saying, man, that's a good one, King. You, you got me. I don't, I don't know what to think that thing means. <clears throat> but instead, Daniel lovingly stands up to the king and tries to point him in the right direction. So what does the dream mean? He goes on to say, verse 22, that tree, your majesty, is you. Put yourself in the position of Daniel. Because they had already come in a few years back and destroyed everything. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and you're great. Your greatness reaches up to heaven and you're ruled, you, you're ruled to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for, for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty. And what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord the King. You will be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. <laughs> Can you just imagine? You'll eat grass like a cow and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone He chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This, this means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. Now, he could have stopped right there. He did what the king asked him to do. He told him what, what the dream meant. But Daniel went a little bit further. For whatever reason, he, had, he cared for the king. And you can see the heart of Daniel in what he says here in verse 27. He goes a little bit further and he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning. He mustered up the courage that came from a care for the other person. Instead of just him trying to make a point. Please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you'll be able to continue to prosper and you won't have to go through this, these seven periods of time. Of course, the king didn't change. And there will be times in your and my life that God's desire will be. Listen to me. God's desire will be. For you or I or all of us 
to make a stand like Daniel and have the courage to not only love God enough, but to love people enough that we declare who God is and we live our lives in a way that declares who God is, that makes an impression on them. So a good question is, <clears throat> how do you know <laughs> when to take that kind of stand? And I think that we can see a few answers out of, out of this short story that we looked at today. When should I take a stand in relationships? Number one, when you have been asked about your stance on something, when you've been asked, the New Testament says, always be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have. And then it goes on to say, but do it with gentleness and respect. So a good time that you know when is a time to give your stance on something or to take a stand on something is when you've been asked. That's pretty easy. Daniel was asked and he gave the answer. The second would be when one asked for your thoughts on his or her or what he or she is doing or thinking of doing or they ask you for what your thoughts are on their stance on something. Or when they've said, Hey, have you ever seen me starting to go off a cliff? Don't let me go off a cliff without talking to me about it. So, when someone asks you what your stance is, that's a pretty simple and easy time to know when. And then whenever somebody asks you about what they're doing or what their stance is, what's your opinion on my opinion? Those are pretty easy, huh? <clears throat> but even if they say that, don't be surprised if you find out they didn't mean it. <laughs> uh, push you right out of the way and jump right off the cliff. <laughs> then the third way is when, you're, when your sincere motive when your sincere motive is to make a positive difference, not just a personal point. When your sincere motive, and in the times that we're living in right now, all of us, every one of us, have an opinion about everything that is going on right now. Amen? All right, you better say amen because you're lying if you ain't. Every one of us need to ask, humble ourselves before God. Before we get on any, we need to sincerely ask God, check my motives, O oh Lord. Is my motive to make a positive difference or just to make a personal point. Because it's, if your motive isn't right, your point really doesn't matter. 
Because that old little statement that was made, and I, it may have been John Maxwell, I don't know, it may have been before him, I don't know where it came from. But that little slogan is true. People don't care how much or what you know if they don't know how much you care. It's done got quiet up in here. Two more ways, real quickly, to know when to take a stand. When God has placed you in a position of responsibility to other people or to another person or people. What I mean by that is, if you're a parent, <laughs> if you're a pastor, I'm not responsible, and really, as our kids grow, especially, you're not responsible for, you're, you're responsible to provide for your kids, but you're more, especially as they grow up, and me toward you as a pastor of anybody that's part of Zeal Church, I'm responsible to you. I'm not responsible for you. you God gives all of us a free will. If you walk off a cliff, that will break my heart. But that was your decision, not my fault. So if God has placed you in a position that you are, uh, uh, where you have a responsibility to, to other, another person or people, and there's times with, the, with those folks you need to make a stand with those folks. And parents, just a little tidbit, especially whenever your kids are young, your job is not to be cool for your kids. Your job is, your responsibility to them is to train them up in the ways of God. And if there's never a disagreement, it may be that your kids are training you instead of you training your kids. And if there's never a time, listen to me, if there's never a time where, when your pastor doesn't challenge you in some of the areas in your life that may need, may need to change, then he's not much of a pastor either. So there's going to be times whenever we make a stand, and there may be, some of you know, there's times whenever we've set up meetings and we've said, man, I've noticed that you're about to walk off a cliff. This is not what God has called you toward. So when God has placed you in a, in a position Then lastly, there's a whole lot of other things, I'm sure. But when you can confront from a heart of love, kind of goes along with the other one. When you, when you can confront from a heart 
of love. And this is probably the most important. Seth, you can come back. You really don't need to confront someone if your motive is not because you truly care. And you want to make a positive difference in that person's life. We need to approach our taking a stand, especially in personal relationships, with any confrontation that, that will, can cause any kind of confrontation. We need, to, we need to approach that out of a motivation of love and care for that, pers- for that person. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says that even if you have all the right words and what you're saying is true, if you don't have love, you're like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Have you ever tried to talk with a clanging cymbal going on? I mean, any of you that have kids. (laughs) Mickey has me. I mean, it's like... But... It doesn't matter what you're saying. If it's not out of a motivation of love, all it does is irritate. It causes more conflict. It causes more aggravation. All it is is a clanging noise. If we don't have a motivation of love, we need to ask God for self-control to hold our tongues. Aren't you glad you came today? It's a beautiful day. Here, just a minute, you get to go out and enjoy it. But I felt compelled To give these, this series, because there's a lot of clanging symbols out there. And if we as followers of Christ can approach taking a stand the same way that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it takes great courage. And takes great self-control. But God will use us to influence our culture. If we will live and take a stand the way he would have us to. Amen. So how to take a stand in relationships. One verse. Galatians 6, 1, I've already quoted one in, in 1 Peter. Dear brothers and sisters, if another, over, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should stand up. But do it gently and humbly. Help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same (laughs) temptation yourself. 
So how do you take a stand in relationships? Gently and humbly. All truth, all truth and no love is brutality. So don't take a stand just to make a point. Take a stand to make a difference. You know what's interesting to me? <clears throat> came to me yesterday whenever I was thinking about today and I was going through this whole story again that I've read over and over again. Hit me for the first time yesterday. The heart of God was exposed toward his care for King Nebuchadnezzar by giving him a dream. He cared for, he cared for the king. God cared for the king, the one who had destroyed the temple where God's people would come and worship him. Cared for him enough to where he gave him a dream and he placed Daniel in his life to say, King, please make a change. Isn't that awesome, the heart of God? And it's the heart that we need. Let's stand this morning. And you know how that happens? The only way that happens is for us to be a people that's desperate for God to do that work in our heart because you can't make a stand like that without God doing a work in your heart. If I were we'll get caught up in anger, we'll be get caught up in all kinds of stuff. So we daily need, desperately need God. Touch my heart. You're good. Your goodness and your mercy is chasing after me. And I want you to do a work in me to where I'm part of your goodness and your mercy chasing after peace.